Um, it's my privilege to welcome back Johnny Gumble. Johnny, come yeah. on now. I say welcome back because Johnny, um, come and uh, yeah, get just let's buddy in. Yeah, uh, Johnny was an ordinand with us back in two thousand and. Seven to nine, there we go, so over ten years ago. But I was thinking, I'm just looking down this, there's about ten or eleven of us here who remember uh, Johnny back then. So the, you're amongst some friends here, we're all friends, but some familiar friends uh, here. So Johnny is, he's a son, he's a husband, married to Tara, he is father of four children. You are the Associate Minister at St Peter's Church in Brighton, uh, which is led by Archie Coates, who uh, is instrumental in the kind of HDB network that we are a part of. Um, but behind every good leader is someone who really knows what's going on, and that is, is Johnny. <laughs> and when, normally with an ordinary, that's someone in, who's sort of training for the ministry. And the idea is that you kind of place an ordinary with someone who knows what they're doing, so that they can impart all their wisdom to the ordinary in training. And that, that was in theory what was going on, but in practice, you know, Johnny would regularly say, in, in this wonderful sort of gentle humility of his, he'd say, um, Tim, that's a, that's a really good idea. I wonder whether a better one would be. <laughs> and I'd go away and ponder that and, and come back and go, yeah, actually, that's a much better idea. Um, and uh, the church grew and flourished between 2007 and 2009. Uh, and we were very sad when we, we bade farewell to Johnny uh, and planted you out to St Peter's. But uh, Johnny, we're just thrilled that you're uh, with us. Thank you so much for giving up time. You're busy uh, and uh, Tara and the kids have given you for today. So we'd love to pray uh, as, you, as you speak to us. Today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Johnny, for who he is, the way he knows you. Never been a time when he's not known you, really. Just grown into a deeper and deeper knowledge and love of who you are and how you've made him and skilled and gifted him. We thank you particularly for his love of your word and for his ability to uh, teach in a way that enables us to feed. And Lord, we, we say we're hungry this morning to feed on you, to hear from you through Johnny. We pray you'd connect him to us by your spirit, that his words would land. So bless him now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, thank you so, so much, Tim and Joe, and, um, and everyone for having me. This is a, a real, a real honour. Actually, I've known Tim and Joe now for, well, we were trying to work it out this morning, since 1991. And I remember actually so clearly um, when, uh, when Tim arrived as the, the youth pastor at HTB. And I remember it was just, um, he was just a brilliant youth pastor. I remember it really clearly. Um, I can still remember some of those sessions being um, in the youth. I can remember when Tim came and spoke at my school. He came to chapel and he told um, a story about uh, sneezing on a woman in an elevator. Um, <laughs> has he told you that one? That's a really good story. If he hasn't told you that one for a while, make sure he tells that one again. That's really good. And so he told that story. Yeah, so he was a brilliant youth leader. And then when I wanted to um, train for ordination, there was only one person I wanted to study with and learn from, and that was Tim. So I said, oh, please, Tim, can I come to... I don't care where your church is or what's happening. I just want to come and uh, learn with you. And then so he came to St. Dionys and loved those two, those two years. 
um, mainly because of the family that's, that's there. I felt really loved and looked after uh, those two years. And it was an amazing two years for me. I learned huge amounts. Tim taught me so much uh, from, um, I can still remember the, the, the feedback from some of the talks uh, I gave and um, hosting services. I remember the, the first service I hosted at Tim said it was, it was good at the beginning to say actually, welcome to people, uh, <laughs> rather than just starting to talk. I thought, oh, that's actually helpful. And then I was, I was also, um, so I was so nervous, I was overly dependent on, on notes for everything that I did, including when I was hosting a service. So I would, I'd get up there and say, welcome everyone <laughs> to St. Dionys. I'm Johnny, and, and or maybe just try and remember some of those things. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't get it word perfect, but it might feel a bit more natural. Uh, so that was really helpful. Anyway, so we, we had, I, those were a wonderful, wonderful two years uh, for me, and um, I learned so much. And really, that was ten years ago, really ever since then I've just been wanting to be invited back. And I can't understand why it's taken ten years. But, um, but here we are. Um, if not to the actual building, then uh, at, least, at least here. So, um, so thank you so, so much. Um, the, um, what I wanted to talk a bit about through today is the purpose of God for our lives. Because individually, God has a purpose for your life. Your life is not without meaning. Your life is not without purpose. God has a purpose for your life. And God has a purpose for us corporately. God has a purpose for St. Dionysus. But so often in our life, we're trying to work out what that is. What is it exactly that I should be doing? Who is the person that I should be? Um, Emma Watson, the actress, said recently, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be the person I really am. And I'm going to work out what that is. Because she's still working it out. And I think a lot of us are. Who am I really? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three people in the Bible, three individuals who received a call from God, where God helped them to discover the purpose of their lives. And the first one we're going to look at is the figure of David in the Old Testament. And so we're going to read a passage of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And... This is uh, the story uh, of David and Goliath. And in terms of some context, uh, David has already been anointed as kind of king-elect. So uh, the king is Saul, but David has been uh, anointed as the next king, because Saul's not doing very well. And um, he's a messenger to... Um, he's going to arrive at the battlefield. The Israelites are fighting the Philistines and they've reached a stalemate because Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, has come forward and no one's willing to fight him from the Israelite side. So you have this political and military stalemate and there's no way through and it's been like this for 40 days. So uh, let's go from verse 16. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistines, that's Goliath, came forward every morning and evening and took a stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. 
take along these ten cheeses to the commander of the unit. Has anyone ever noticed that before? The ten cheeses. Now you can imagine him there with some, some cheddar and some Leodama and some Emmental and Gorgonzola and some Stilton and mozzarella and Manchego, Port Salut, where are we up to? Yeah, uh, some Philadelphia. Anyway, so he's, he's got these ten cheeses. Um, and it's a see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Um, so then uh, he goes and talks to um, uh, some people. It says, uh, verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out of the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they'd been saying and told him, this is what's to be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's old, eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David. You can tell he's the youngest brother, can't you? <laughs> he's got seven, eight, ten older brothers. And he's, oh, now what have I done, said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, I am, an, am I a dog that you've come here with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, 
the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. He doesn't lack confidence, does he? Uh, this very day I will give, you, give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know what it is, that it, that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, Dave ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Well, in our first session, I want to talk about plans and opportunities. Because a life of purpose is a combination of plans and opportunities. So when I was at school, I played a bit of rugby and I played fly half, which I love because then you get to control the whole game. You get to call the moves and decide what happens. And what would happen at fly half is we would have the ball and I could tell we were going to get the ball. The scrum half was about to pass me and I would call the move. I'd decide what play we were going to do. And sometimes I'd get the ball and we would do exactly what we planned. But occasionally the ball would be passed to me and just as I was about to pass it, a gap would open up in front of me and I knew at that moment you need to abort the move and just take the opportunity. And a life of purpose is a combination of plans and opportunities. David had plans for his life. He was going to be king of Israel. That was the plan. But for the meantime, the plan was to be a shepherd, to be a good shepherd and to be a messenger. Goliath was not part of the, his plans. But Goliath came as an opportunity. And in life, both individually and as a church, it's good to have plans. It's good to have a five-year plan. It's good to have an idea of where you want to go in your life. But it's also essential that we take opportunities. And this is what David does. This opportunity emerges, and he takes hold of it. But the thing is that opportunities often come in the form of problems. And this is how it emerges in this story. Because Goliath is essentially, he's an opportunity, but he comes in the form of a problem. A very heavily armed problem. This is, this is a serious problem. It's, it's a very difficult problem. It's a big problem. This is a risk of the defeat of the Israelite armies and the total destruction of a very young nation. This is a big problem. It's also insoluble. No one can work out a solution to how to defeat this giant. It's a long-lasting problem. It's been going on for 40 days, and still they haven't been able to have a breakthrough. And it's a painful problem. The result of Goliath coming forward is fear and dismay on behalf of the Israelites. This is big, this is long-lasting, there's no solution, and it's incredibly painful. And yet... David is able to turn this painful, difficult problem into an opportunity. He sees it as an opportunity. And we can go through life seeing problems as problems, or we can see problems as opportunities. And actually, it's more than that, because actually we can, we can get things even worse. We can start seeing opportunities as problems. That's what Saul is going to do. What's going to emerge from this story is that David is going to be this brilliant warrior, a brilliant general, and totally loyal to Saul. 
David is the greatest opportunity that Saul will ever experience in his time as king. But because of his insecurity and fears, he will turn David into a problem. So we can either see the world as opportunities we turn into problems, or we can turn problems into opportunities. Actually, when looking back over these last 10 years at St. Peter's, and looking at some of the most exciting developments, they've almost always been where there's been a problem that's been turned into an opportunity. I mean, the, the very way we started, it was a problem. It was a building falling down in the centre of the city that um, was unsafe and cold and the heating was broken. It was a really serious problem. But we turned it uh, into, what well, HTV turned it into an opportunity to plant a church in the heart of Brighton. And then during our, uh, the week before we opened, a young girl called Mel overdosed and died on our steps. And it was uh, very traumatic. She was part of the street community there. But again, that turned into an opportunity. We did a memorial service for her, and then we started doing meals and various things for people who were homeless or vulnerable or addicted. It turned into an opportunity. Then, about a year after then, um, the night shelter in the city closed down. And the 12, there were only 12 beds for quite a significant homeless population in the city. But again, that turned into opportunity. We got around with all the other churches and worked out, okay, if we take a night of the week each, maybe we can set up a night shelter here. And that's been a hugely fruitful ministry over the last eight years. But problems can be turned into opportunities. And when we do that, what we're doing is we are, we're moving towards the problem rather than away from it. So because David sees this Goliath as an opportunity, he runs towards him. The Israelites are running away, but David is running towards it. When problems emerge, we can either try to avoid them or ignore them, or we can run towards them. And when we run towards them, really significant things happen. In, uh, on the 21st of August 2015, there were three young Americans on a train from Amsterdam to Paris. It was the 1513 train from Amsterdam to Paris. And their names were Anthony, okay, there was Spencer Stone, um, Anthony Sadler, and Alec Scarletus. And there were three young Americans on a train. And they were traveling from Amsterdam to Paris. At Brussels, another man got on, he was called Ayub El Kanazi. He was an, IS, um, an ISIS operative, and he had with him an AK-47, a handgun, and enough ammunition to kill every single person on board. And these three young Americans were at the front of the train, they were listening to their music, and they saw um, a few passengers sprint past them. And they looked behind them, Spencer looked behind him, and he saw this man uh, holding this gun. And instead of running away, he got out of his seat and ran straight at him. And the guy took his gun, aimed at him, but the gun didn't go off. Spencer hit him, and there was this, uh, they wrestled. Uh, Spencer eventually managed to get him into a jujitsu hold until he passed out. And meanwhile, he'd seen, um, eventually the guy passed out. It was quite a long fight, but the guy passed out. <laughs> and then, uh, once he passed out, they realised one of the passengers was bleeding heavily from the neck. Spencer managed to get his fingers into his neck, stop the bleeding. And eventually, they, they saved the life of all 554 people on that train. They were uh, then taken from there. 
uh, Barack Obama, who was the president of the United States at the time. Do you remember when Obama was president? <laughs> <sighs> Oh, yeah. So um, anyway, so he gave them a call, then they got the uh, Legion of Honor, and it was this extraordinary moment. And actually, people thought that the initial reports came out they were three Marines, but they they weren't. And um, uh, Alec had been was in the army. He was doing a tour of Afghanistan, but he hadn't gone on any missions. He was really being used as security. Um, Anthony was a student, and Spencer had tried to get into. Uh, to be a paratrooper, but it had failed in all attempts in the army and was working as a janitor. Actually, they were just three ordinary Americans. But when they saw a problem emerge, instead of running away from it, they ran towards it. And this is what we are called to as the church. When we are faced with the problems that we see around us in the world, global problems, national problems, local problems, and the problems in our lives, we're called not to run away from these problems, but to run towards them. How do we do this? We get a few clues in this story. First of all, reinterpret your past. So David, when he's working out whether he can take on Goliath, and when Saul says he won't be able to do it, he says, of course I'll be able to do it. I fought a bear and a lion in the past, so I'll be able to fight this giant. Now, this isn't an obvious link. I mean, a heavily armed giant poses different challenges to a bear and to a lion. He could so easily have said, oh, no, 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 I can't. I specialize in wild animals. Uh, I, can't, I can't fight someone with a, with a javelin. I can give me a bear or a lion, I'll be fine. But he doesn't. He thinks, oh, no, God has helped me in these situations before. Therefore, I'll be able to do this. I mean, his, ta- his strategy will be completely different. With the wild animals, he uses hand-to-hand combat, whereas with Goliath, he's going to use a sling. And yet, there is this ability to connect what God has done in his life in the past with what he's then going to do in the future. Because the battles we've faced in the past have prepared us for the battles we face in the present. And the battles we are facing in the present are preparing us for the battles that we're going to face in the future. But it means being able to, to interpret our past. I mean, when, he, when David looks at his past, all he sees is God's faithfulness and God's provision. But that's not the only way he could have interpreted his past. He could have described his past in terms of he's the often forgotten youngest son. His brothers were always having a go at him. When Samuel, the, the great leader of the nation, visits his family, everyone else gets invited apart from him. And he's left to do the worst job, shepherd on the hills, spending all this time on his own. His life could have been described as one mis... Oh, and on top of that, he keeps on being attacked by lions and bears. <laughs> he could have described his life as just one misfortune after another and neglect and mistreatment. But instead, he sees his life as one in which God has delivered him again and again. I was really struck by something that um, uh, Helen Garrett, who's one of the other clergy at St. Peter's, said. It was just a throwaway line. She said, "Um, of course, I'm very lucky because I was adopted. And so I'll always know that I was loved and I was wanted. That's not the only way to interpret that story. And when I think actually of 
uh, looking at my uh, journey and thinking, okay, there have been times of, of uh, illness, chronic fatigue and things like that, uh, that I've struggled with most of my adult life. And so I can either look back and think, oh, I didn't have energy when everyone else had energy. I didn't have those opportunities when other, other people were doing these sorts of things. Or I can think, actually, that was the best illness I've ever had. And I watched some high-quality television <laughs> and read some really interesting books. Because the Spirit of God, when the Spirit fills us, He is the, the eternal Spirit, the Spirit of the eternal God. And so He not only helps us in the present, but He also helps us to reimagine our future and to reinterpret our past. So that's the first thing, reinterpret your past. Second of all, confound your critics. As soon as opportunities emerge, and we choose to run towards them rather than away from them, there will be critics. And the bigger the, bigger the opportunity, the more uh, criticism we will receive. And David here receives a lot of criticism. He receives criticism um, about his character. Eliab, his older brother, says, you are wicked, your heart is filled with terrible things. His character is attacked. As Saul attacks his ability, you cannot do this. You're just simply too young, you're not able to do it. And then there's the more subtle criticism of his method. Saul says, okay, if you're going to do it, you should do it like this. This is the way to do it, dress in my armour. And then Goliath will eventually criticise his spirit. He'll call down curses on him. David experiences criticism from family members, from friends, from effectively his boss, from his enemy, from people who are trying to help him, from people who are trying to oppose him. Criticism from all quarters. And life will always have criticism. And so in those times, we have to choose what, who we're going to listen to. And David chooses to turn away from these critical voices. Actually, one of the critical voices that we have that's often most powerful is the inner critic. There's the voice within that tells us that we're not good enough or that we can't do it. But David turns away from these critical voices. I was really struck by uh, something that Brené Brown said. Do you know Brené Brown? The, uh, she's a, a professor of um, sociology, I think, originally, and a kind of expert on shame and vulnerability. She did one of the most successful, the most watched um, TED Talks of all time. I think it's around third or fourth in terms of most watched TED Talks of all time, where she opens up about her own breakdown and her own struggles. But as soon as she did that TED Talk, she started getting a lot of uh, feedback and people sending in things online. Uh, things like, how can she talk about worthiness when she clearly needs to lose 15 pounds? I feel sorry for her children. Good mothers don't fall apart. Less research, more Botox. If I looked like Brené Brown, I'd embrace imperfection too. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, but what she decided then was she was going to choose which voices she listened to. And she said, unless people are actually trying to do things with their lives and are open to feedback themselves, she's not going to listen to those voices. We need to listen to feedback. We need um, voices in our lives which challenge us and correct us. But we need to choose which voices those are. And right now for David, those voices aren't helpful. And he turns away from them. But how has he managed to turn away from them? Well, I think the clue is in his role up to now as a shepherd. He spent all these hours in the hills. And what do we know from the rest of the Bible? Is he's been talking with God. 
He's been listening to the voice of God. He's been meditating on the law of God, centering his life on another voice. And so when all these critical voices come into his life, and there is a voice that is louder, and there is a truth that is stronger, and that's what enables him to turn this problem into an opportunity. And so we reinterpret the past, we confound the critics, and then we remember that God is with us. This is the thing that gives David such confidence in this story. He goes, actually, when he runs towards Goliath, he goes, actually, in total vulnerability. Goliath is in the kind of ancient equivalent of a, a tank. He's heavily armed. But David goes forward without any armour, and totally vulnerable, not afraid of losing, just desiring uh, the victory. But he goes in the confidence that God is his, his shield, his protector, and his victory. He knows that God is with us. Thinking back to those three young men on the train, what was it that gave them the, them the ability to run towards that man rather than away from them? Well, actually, their, their parents were all praying for them. All three of them had parents back in the States who, and they didn't quite know why they needed to do this, but they just knew they needed to pray for their sons. And so were praying like crazy. And uh, one of them was um, a pastor, actually, who was praying for his son. And it was extraordinary, actually, how the whole thing happened, because they'd never meant to go to Amsterdam. It was, they were travelling around Europe, someone gave them a recommendation, and they changed their plans to go to Amsterdam. And then they had decided not to get that train. They were booked on to the 1513, but decided not to get that. They were having too good a time in Amsterdam, and so they decided they were going to come the next day. And, but they woke up that morning, and all three of them, having decided the night before they weren't going to get it, just felt like they had to get that train. When they got onto the train, they got on in at the middle. But um, the Wi-Fi wasn't very good. So in order to get better Wi-Fi, they moved to the front of the train, uh, where they were going to be in the perfect position to stop this man. Then uh, when Spencer ran at him, the a man aimed an AK-47, known as the most reliable gun out there, and it jammed. And then um, Spencer was able to use jujitsu, which was something he learned because he um, had no money and could only afford free classes, would visit the first lesson of all these, uh, the trial lesson of all these <laughs> jiu-jitsu classes, were the only things he could find. It meant he had his, exactly the right skills to defeat this person when he needed it. And God was with them. And that's what gave them the, this ability. It's the presence of God that changes everything, that changes problems into opportunities. The impact of this mindset is really profound. But uh, when David arrives in the story, the Israelites are afraid, they're not fighting at the first time. In fact, every time Goliath comes forward, they run away. But when David defeats him, suddenly they're all running towards the Philistines. And actually, when we read later in, uh, in the history books of the Old Testament, David's followers are those who fight giants. They're the ones who attempt great things because he's changed a whole mindset. Because the actions of a few people can have an extraordinary impact. During the Second World War uh, in Greece, um, the Italians initially tried to invade Greece, but were having some problems. So eventually called on Hitler, and Hitler sent in um, his armies and completely obliterated the, uh, the Greek forces. 
and uh, the German army arrived in Athens and they went up to the Parthenon on the Acropolis, that kind of symbol of Greece, symbol of democracy, symbol of freedom, and they draped this huge swastika um, across the front of the Parthenon so that when the people of Athens woke up the next day, there was this symbol of oppression over the whole city. And there were these two students who lived in Athens. Who, they weren't soldiers, they, they looked at this and thought, we need to do something about this. And so um, they did what they could do. They were students, so they went to the library. And they started researching the Acropolis. And in their research, they discovered that there's a tunnel up from the base of the Acropolis, up through the middle, into the Parthenon. So they, uh, so they managed to find this, there's an old archeological dig, they, got over a fence, through this little door, then crept up in the middle of the night, uh, through the hill, up into the Parthenon. Um, and then, in the middle of the night, when the guards were being changed, they went and they cut the swastika down. So when, Gre when the people of Athens woke up the next morning, the swastika was down. And what that did was it ignited something in the Greek people, and it started the Greek resistance suddenly all these men started going out into the hills and beginning to fight against the occupying Nazi forces. One of the people who joined the resistance was a man called Socrates, Scalatus, and he was a shoemaker. And he fought against the Nazis, he was captured, he escaped. But he eventually then moved to America. And his stories of how he fought the Nazis was so inspiring to his son and to actually then his grandson and his grandson was particularly affected. He was so impressed that when he then got on a train later, in 2015, he decided he was going to run towards the man with the gun rather than away from him. Because our individual decisions to face these problems rather than to run from them can have a highly significant impact. But of course, Jesus has already gone ahead of us. Jesus is the one, ultimately, who was faced with the ultimate problem of sin and death and suffering. And instead of running from it, he ran to that problem and went to the cross. He endured all criticism, all abuse, and he died for us. And because of that, and because of that victory through the death and resurrection, it means he's already done it. And all we have to do is go in his path. He has already won that victory. He has already turned all problems into opportunities. And because he has done that, so can we. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand and I'll pray, I'll pray for us. Thank you so much for your, uh, the call you have put on our life. The call to, to face up to the problems in our lives. And we think of some huge, huge problems in the world. The problems with the environment, problems of injustice, problems of inequality and poverty, problems of slavery. And we think of the problems closer to home the problems we ourselves are facing. And Lord, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, 
you would anoint us and equip us. 